Welcome to the ABR podcast, where some of Australian Book Review's contributors discuss major issues or read their reviews and creative writing. My name's Peter Rose, and I'm the editor of ABR. If you enjoy these podcasts, think about subscribing to the magazine. Those 25 and under can do so for as little as $25 for the online version or $50 for print plus online. Welcome back to the ABR podcast after a short hiatus. Our first guest in this new series is Gideon Haig, one of ABR's most popular contributors. Gideon first wrote for ABR back in 1995, before I joined ABR. I was then a publisher at Oxford University Press, and that's when I first worked with Gideon, who edited the Oxford Book of Australian Cricket Anecdotes. Since then, He seems to have published dozens of books, history, cricket, business, and true crime, the latest of which is the long-titled The Night Was a Bright Moonlight and I Could See a Man Quite Plain, an Edwardian Cricket Murder, self-published at first, it's all the rage, and now available from Scribner. Last year, Several critics nominated Gideon's restorative study of Dr. Evert, The Brilliant Boy, as one of their books of the year. Gideon has worked as a journalist since 1984, first at The Age and now at The Australian. I always love publishing Gideon Hay. Few critics are so fearless or so sure. In the October issue of ABR... He reviews a new biography of Daniel Andrews, the Premier of Victoria, whom Paul Strangio, in his summary of Victorian politics for us in the August issue, christened the poster boy of progressivism. Andrews and his government face re-election in November, and it will be a fascinating test for this polarising and resilient politician whose endless press conferences during Melbourne's interminable lockdowns became known as The Daily Dan. Here is Gideon Haig on Samaya Ilanby's new book, Daniel Andrews, the revealing biography of Australia's most powerful premier, which is published by Alan and Unwin. Uh, The Daily Dan, Daniel Andrews, the revealing biography of Australia's most powerful premier by Sumia Ilbani, uh, reviewed by Gideon Haig. During his first electoral campaign, Daniel Andrews hung a sign in his office containing a timeless political wisdom from Lyndon Johnson. If you do everything, you will win. He has continued taking it literally. Australian politics has, it is agreed, few harder workers than Victoria's premier. He is in the same class as LBJ, who famously said that he seldom thought about politics more than 18 hours a day. Andrews also does as close to everything in his government as it is possible to do. Dismissive of parliamentary process, indifferent to cabinet government. His huge personal staff, somewhere in the region of 100, is said to be larger than the personal staff of the entire Victorian lower house. He has presided over a politicising of the public service that may never be reversed and will legitimise a tit-for-tat response. And his studied insouciance has been absorbed by others. 
Don't admit where you got it wrong and make it all about that, he counselled South Australia's Premier, Peter Malinowskis. It feels good today, but they'll just beat you over the head with it. In this sense, Andrews, who will almost certainly stampede to a third term at the polls on 26 November, deserves to be regarded as his generation's most consequential Labour politician, making Daniel Andrews, by the ages state political reporter Sumia Ilbani, one of the timelier political biographies. One of the more fascinating impacts of COVID-19 on journalism was to turn state rounds, which had for decades been stripped of prestige and experience in favour of concentrating dwindling resources in Canberra, into a premium posting. In Melbourne, furthermore, one could go nowhere, do nothing. Reporters, like everyone else, were for much of the time stuck at home, confined and curfewed. Victoria's state rounds people suddenly found themselves in proximity to what was guaranteed to be the day's biggest event. The press conferences that became known over 120 consecutive days as the Daily Dan, with Andrews live streaming his St. Sebastian Act, braving the arrows of Ilbani and her colleagues. The grinding monotony of their content notwithstanding, live streams of the Daily Dan commanded huge audiences and generated maelstroms of social media commentary. Their legend continues to grow. That's a level of resilience and stamina that I find extraordinary, Labor Jobs Minister Martin Pakula tells Ilbani. It was a tour de force. Well, step aside, Vladimir Zelensky. Oh, please. Ilbani has it just about right when she identifies the Daily Dan as propaganda cloaked as accountability, quoting an unnamed Labour source as wishing Andrews had spent as much time on the hotel quarantine program as he had on press conferences. And, young as she is, 28, Ilbani has a pleasing fearlessness. Among the most bizarre features of the last two years in Victoria has been the herd of independent minds on Twitter dedicated to depicting Andrews's COVID response as one masterstroke after another, despite the state recording the worst health, social and economic outcomes of any in Australia, with no deeper reasoning than, mm, you're alive, uh, be grateful. Journalists who dared report otherwise on the opaque secrecy around public health advice, on the self-defeating EDA feast with COVID zero, on the psychological toll of six lockdowns, on shambles like hotel quarantine and the furloughing of staff at St Basil's, on the punitive cruelty meted out to residents of the Alfred Street Housing Commission flats and to tens of thousands indiscriminately penalised for often trivial lockdown breaches, have had to run a gauntlet of jeering whataboutists and other useful idiots. Ilbani, refreshingly, has a crack. Journalists have grown too accustomed to trading access for independence, what Paul Keating called the drip feed, and what the ABC still sneakily acknowledges in the title of insiders. She may slip a little too readily into the pugilistic vernacular of the political column. There are too many factional warlords and factional brawlers, too many guns blazing across too many firing lines, the health portfolio is twice described as a poison chalice. Victorians will also be surprised to learn they have never been resource rich, given that their colony was built on gold and that their state has long been powered by abundant coal and gas. But Ilbani has a clear sight, both of Andrews, a man who 
thinks highly of himself and his talents, and the modus operandrus, when confronted with a crisis, refuse to answer the substantive question, defer to another authority or an investigation, even if you're legally allowed to comment, and when asked about discrepancies in your answers, shrug your shoulders and say you stand by your comments. Such is the protective cordon around Victoria's Premier. Andrews, the man, is bound to elude Ilbani. She struggles to get behind the scenes of anything terribly much. To be fair, a live government is as difficult to write of as an athlete still competing. She can impart little of Andrews's emotional makeup or his family background. What are his tastes and relaxations? What makes him laugh and cry? Developments in his personal life are scattered and superficial. On the home front, he would welcome his first child, Noah, just a few months after the election. Yet there may not be much to say. It feels, after a while, as though there can scarcely be a non-political bone in Andrews's body. He has allies rather than friends. He has gestures rather than vision. Even his more laudable achievements as a progressive politician, legislation for the decriminalisation of abortion and assisted dying, support for medicinal cannabis and adoption rights for same-sex couples, have involved calculatedly minimal expenditures of electoral capital. Despite his huge majority, Andrews has let less tractable issues go, including, ignominiously, the management of his own party, which he had to cede to the federal ALP, such was its culture of grift and graft. His period as health minister, 2007 to 10, is recalled for the manipulation of figures of hospital waiting times, the subject of a damning report by the Auditor General. His period as gaming minister, 2006-07, preluded a royal commission into Crown Casino that was, as Ilbani observes, a lifeline disguised as a punishment. Ilbani's most useful insights perhaps concern not Andrews, but Victoria, where Labour has a decidedly mixed report card for having been in power for 19 of the last 23 years. The state is per capita Australia's second poorest, its economic growth having depended overwhelmingly on population increase, which reversed during COVID-19. Its health services, vulnerabilities revealed by the pandemic, are gravely overstretched. Its schools, overmanaged and under-resourced, are the lowest funded in Australia. On housing affordability and social housing availability, the state ranks poorly. Half the inmates in Victorian prisons are on remand, with Indigenous women the fastest growing demographic. Family violence statistics remain little changed despite lots of solemn promises. Infrastructure projects cost multiples of their initial estimates, which Andrews has dismissed airily. These things cost what they cost. Anyone that's done a kitchen reno, for heaven's sake, knows that. He doesn't hold a kitchen reno, mate. A half-competent opposition would be having a field day. Victoria's hapless Liberal Party, of course, resembles an office of particularly dim estate agents. And ironically, some of the best of Andrews is seen in the role Matthew Guy has now. Ilbani lays out well how quickly and effectively Andrews picked up and dusted off Labour during its interregnum of 2010 to 2014. His colleagues were not especially grateful, squabbling petulantly over cabinet positions allocated as factional spoils. Maybe this explains a little. Maybe Andrews is the logical outcome of the degeneration of contemporary politics, its reinforcement of an amoral careerism, 
its effectiveness at filtering out anyone with half a clue about anything. Whatever one may say of Andrews, he is in his way able, focused and diligent, where his ministers remind you of that sketch in Spitting Image where Margaret Thatcher is in a restaurant with her cabinet and ordering a raw steak from the maitre d'. What about the vegetables, she's asked. They'll have the same as me, Maggie replies. Of Andrews, a Labour colleague complains to Albani, he's always more concerned about looking after his enemies than working with his friends. He holds Parliament in contempt. There's a lot of support internally, you can call that loyalty, but a lot of people who support him don't really like him. This was a depressing comment on the imagined compatibility of the culture of party politics and niceties of the Westminster system. Andrews reminds us then of a comment apocryphally attributed to another American president, Harry Truman, that those who wanted a friend in politics should get a dog. Thanks for listening to the Australian Book Review podcast. Join us again next week. If you enjoyed this episode, why not consider subscribing to ABR? Subscriptions start from just $10 a month for full digital access. Visit our website for more information. We'd like to thank Stacey Chan, who edits the podcast, as well as our contributors who take the time to read their articles and creative writing. And if you enjoy listening to the ABR podcast, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes.